Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about diversity and inclusion in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. Today, I'm joined by Adam Conn and Mark Fryer. Adam Conn is the Head of Trading at Bailey Gifford, based in Edinburgh, and has had a prestigious career in institutional capital markets, having held executive positions as Head of Dealing at Bering Asset Management and led dealing teams based in London, Hong Kong and New York. Adam began his career as a junior trader on the floor of the London Stock Exchange in 1985 and was the first member of the exchange to be elected from a non-member firm. He is a fellow of the Chartered Institute for Securities and Investment, and last year, Adam was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award by the industry journal, The Trade. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Mark Fryer is Director and Board Member of Abstract, a company specialising in creating and delivering learning and development programmes. He has enjoyed a long career in banking and financial services, specialising in private banking and wealth management at a major UK bank, leading relationships with clients in the UK, Ireland and also internationally. Mark was instrumental in the development of the Accelerate programme, which supports female career development. And in addition to his role at Abstract, Mark is a non-executive director for a medical company, Armstrong Medical Limited. Mark, welcome to the show. So as always, at the start of the show, we invite all our guests to take a minute to tell us about what they're working on. Um, Adam, let's start with you. Thanks very much, Julia. The trading industry tends to be sort of personified as the last testosterone-filled area of, of the industry. The message I'd like to deliver is actually a really positive message. I'm very fortunate in my career. I've had three female bosses, which is something that you don't get to hear a great deal about in trading. From that, I've been able to get an insight into what I need to do as a manager. And I, if I speak to some of my, my younger colleagues, particularly my female colleagues, they say it's great that things are led from the front and that the, the firm is, is very, that the leadership of the firm is very intense, um, very committed to diversity and inclusion. But where it tends to fall down is the middle management. And it's the middle managers, and I, I am one of those middle managers. So there is a responsibility of me to, to really make things uh, or to develop things for the next generation. But there's a lot in there we're certainly going to talk about in a second. And, but let me just take a moment to, to come to you, Mark. Mark, just one minute on what, what you're focused on at the moment. And then I'm sure we're going to pick up on some of the things that Adam was talking about there. One of the main initiatives that Abstract uh, are focusing on at the moment probably started about five years ago. And I sense it will probably continue for a few years yet, which is the topic of this program today. Uh, it was an opportunity working, uh, in fact, in conjunction with the Financial Times for a research joint venture, which, uh, as a consequence of which, the Accelerate program was born and uh, the various guises that that's developed since. Um, what we noticed was that actually there, there was a lot of discussion at the time and since about the need for gender equality. And in our discoveries and researched, we uh, identified that actually what was required was the how. And that continues to be the case today. And I envisage will be for some time, but not for too long into the future. I'm, I'm really keen to kind of return to, to you, Adam, on this whole question with, that we were beginning to talk about around sort of behaviours on the trading floor and also about the middle management on the trading floor as well. Are you seeing that there's change at the moment? I mean, you're, you're a, a true role model in the sense that, you know, you've been led in a certain way by female bosses. Uh, as you look left and right around the floor, do you see changing behaviours? I, I see a lot of change. I... 
we were at uh, at the at the uh, interview awards ceremony together, and I stood up and I I started my my career as you, as you mentioned on the floor of the London Stock Exchange. I think there were six female traders, and yet every trading team was run by um, a lady who was uh, responsible for all the telephony and making sure all of the orders got to the right trader and so forth. So even though the trading was done by men, there was always a lady that was in charge. What I've been really pleased to discover is that you know, whereas it used to be at these industry events, it was it was really just a group of men who would sit down and we, we all knew each other, and it was it was almost the archetypal old boys club. I look, I stood at the um, the podium at the awards ceremony. And I looked into the room, and it was fifty fifty, and I was struck by by that fact, and that really led my speech. Um, it was it was always going to be part of my speech, but it was it really was the only part that, that really mattered, and it got a. What was wonderful as well was the the reception it received from the room. As soon as I started talking about diversity, the room erupted. The room came to life. When I started talking about you know my own situation, I've got a daughter who's 23 years years old. Um, she's looking to enter the workforce. You know, and I mentioned there's probably no greater feminist than me because I want everything for her. Um, again, it, it, the 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 reaction was electric. And if there's one change, I, wouldn't, I don't like to talk about quotas and numbers and so forth. But I think in terms of attitude and in terms of actual people, people don't buy into what you are. They buy into why you do it. And I think there was just this electric charge that everyone in the room was in, was in the same place. We want it to happen. We want there to be positive developments, whether it's diversity in terms of um, gender or income levels, disability, whatever that diversity is. We've moved from a situation where people got their jobs because of who they knew to now being in a meritocracy. And I think I really felt that that evening rang the bell. Suddenly everyone, and remember, I'm, I'm one of the old guys. So, you know, I've been there in the bad old days as well. So, I, I, you know, I can preach evangelically about things. But I've, been, I've worked on trading floors and in trading rooms where it was, it was a very male-charged uh, environment. And ultimately, it's all really about, because uh, if I think of all the trading floors that I, I've been on, um, it's always about performance. It's always about getting the results. I mean, do you do you see as you look at teams that are much more diverse in their makeup? Do you see that they have a positive? I don't want to put words in your mouth. But are they having an impact on performance, or is it still very much a kind of um, it's a very good thing to do versus a, a commercial imperative, performance imperative thing to do? I've been at Bailey Gifford for two years, and I've been inc- impressed by the quality of the trading team that I've inherited uh, from my predecessor. It is a it is a, a quite a male-heavy team. What I want to do is build on that rather than tear it apart or in any way denigrate it because I think the team we've got is exceptionally strong and exceptionally good. Where I think it can benefit is it just in the ideas of bringing young people through, male, female, just with different attitudes um, that can help to shape us for the, for the changes that are coming. If we look at the... the the world as a whole. We're in a very fast-moving world. It's very complex. It's very complicated. It's only going to become more so. The actual skills that we require are changing. And the fact that we've got young men and women who want to come into the industry, maybe with different backgrounds, I think is incredibly positive. Let me me turn to you, Mark, because uh, actually in your introductory uh, comments, you mentioned about the FT research sort of joint venture that that formed the Accelerate programme. And very much this whole question about how. Do you expand on that a little bit more in terms of how, is it it how organisations are driving driving greater diversity to achieve what Adam's talking about? Or is it how 
how do diverse employees make themselves attractive to organisations? So if I go back to five years ago when we were invited by the Financial Times to do a a piece of research uh, jointly with themselves to look at um, the characteristics, the factors uh, affecting women in business, we discovered three things. Uh, Three de-accelerators, if you like, hence where the, the term accelerate came from. The first one was the conscious and unconscious bias, which I think is well uh, spoken about and, and I think is slowly but surely being addressed. Still some way to go. There was then the double bind between um, starting a family, not starting a family, and the juggle between uh, parents, but predominantly it falls on a, a woman's shoulders. And then third and finally, what we discovered through uh, interviewing over 100 women and also and these were senior women uh, within the industry and a control group of men, that there were career management skills that actually predominantly men were displaying versus their women counterparts. Now, I'm generalizing because, as always, there's exceptions and some women were very good at it and some men weren't very good at it. But the trends that we identified were these career management skills. Now, like Adam, I feel very positive about um, the rhetoric uh, the, the conferences, the events. I also feel really frustrated because I have two daughters of my own uh, who aren't yet en- uh, entering their careers. But I think there needs to be a lot more, um, and, and there is some, so it'd be wrong to say there is none, but a lot more effort spent on addressing the how. Because all of a sudden there's this huge, if we take gender, for example, there's a huge expectation on women to fulfill these opportunities. And yet, what we discovered, there were certain skills that they needed to um, display more. A lot of the women do have some of these career management skills um, and be confident enough to put themselves forward for these opportunities in this, in this much better world than it was five years ago and certainly was 10, 20, 30 years ago. So I'm really passionate and we're really passionate about helping uh, women in terms of the career management skills so they can take control themselves. I mean, how, how do you do them. that? Do you go into organisations and is, is that coaching? Is that, I know you're a learning and development company, but what are some of the practical things that you do? Well, there's, there's a special formula to it, but I'm happy to share with you some ingredients. And what we firstly uh, recognise with, with our typical clients, which are large corporates, is the identification of, um, of that middle to senior management pool of, of talented women. It starts there and we help our clients identify that pool pool of talent. We then bring them together in, in cohorts of 20. And then it's a layering approach because it's not a one-time intervention. You just cannot, with a one-time intervention flick of a switch, suddenly create the capability in a woman to take control of her career. So the formula consists of a number of uh, interventions ranging from um, uh, building superior confidence to mastering organizational politics, which most of uh, the delegates least look forward to, but actually they get the most out of, uh, promoting a brand and profile, uh, utilizing sponsors and mentors, and then boardroom readiness on the fifth module. And those five modules are done over a period of about three months. And then... Uh, during those modules, there's lots of case studies, um, ideologies, uh, exercises for them to fulfill. And it's a progressive journey, Julia, which enables them by the end of module five to go away and start implementing. Well, they start before then, but really then take control of their career 
management efforts. And we bring them back on the sixth and final day, a bit like a school reunion. You know, everyone wants to show it with uh, something to show off and, uh, and, and demonstrate. So it, it, it's, it's a very effective uh, formula that we've continued to develop and, and are continuing to develop as we learn from our and it's interesting, this, this sort of middle management sort of layer that we talk about, because Adam, you, you, you talked about it in the concept of when you're driving change on a trading floor, it's some of the, maybe some of the institutionalised traditional thinking that sits with the middle management execs who are perhaps a little threatened or, I don't, again, these weren't your words, but this is what, what people tell me. Uh, they're slightly, slightly threatened by uh, change. And they're, and they're maybe a little uncomfortable with change, um, which is understandable, actually, if you've been hired in a certain way, had your KPIs set in a certain way, etc. And then along comes, you know, the middle management of women, as you were describing, Mark, who are now being tooled up and trained up and being enthused. I'm, I'm interested in your kind of observations about how those two worlds combine and, and do they collide or, or actually are people welcoming the challenge of having, uh, a, you know, greater gender peer group, if you like. And, and is there some magic that's coming out of that by being challenged by the, the opposite sex? And that's a question to either of you. Maybe I thought I can go first. I think we, what I'm really enjoying about this podcast is, is the positivity. I think the message, there's no dwelling on things that maybe could be improved and so forth. It's, it's how do we make things better? One of the bigger issues has been not so much providing the opportunity, I believe, but it's actually retaining staff who, for whatever reason, whether it's for family reasons or for non-family reasons, have decided to take a break. They want to come back to the industry there's a nervousness, there's a lack of confidence, a perceived lack of support. It's how we can really all work together to bring someone back in. If, if someone starts off as a junior, they get this wonderful induction. When they come back, it's sort of, right, we'll just get on with that. You can, you can do that. And so what we're trying to build is that is rebuild that induction process. So when someone comes in, we go back to a mentor and a buddying system. Uh, it's really about retraining people, just not assuming that, the industry that they left, say, two or five years ago is the same one they've come back to, that their office skills aren't necessarily the same. And the technology skills. And the, the technology has completely, has completely, completely changed. So it's, it's a very positive message about retaining the talent. It's not a question of, yes, there's talent, but we don't want to use it. That, 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 those days, I believe, are totally, totally gone. It's more a question of how do we make people, how do we bring people back in? And, and I've had a, my own experience of this last year. Um, unfortunately, my son was diagnosed with testicular cancer last year. I had to take some time out of the office. I was allowed to work from our London office uh, rather than Edinburgh. Uh, the firm were immense about it. And it's just... I think the fact that people saw that I was able to do it gave that that whole issue of flexibility, which I think has been one of the big concerns. If I can be flexible, the trading desk as a whole it tends to work long hours. And so therefore, there was always this perceptional, you know, what if I need to do um, childcare? What if I need to look after an elderly parent? How can I do that in that environment? What we're trying to do is change that perception so that everyone can be flexible, that there's nothing um, competitive about working long hours, that in fact, it, the, the inclusion is actually our goal. And, and actually, we can put that to trying to stand out from the rest of the competition. And, and Mark, as you go into organisations, are you hearing similar stories or is this, this, uh, is this a kind of, it's a journey that other people are trying to get on as well? Interestingly, when we started first uh, sharing and delivering our solution in this space for, for women in business, it was to quite a senior uh, group of women. And the feedback we got was absolutely superb, except they said one really important thing. And that was, I wish we'd had this 10 to 15 years ago. 
So we suddenly realized that our target audience, as you've indicated, was not necessarily the senior women who'd already made it to executive positions. Because interestingly, they'd, they'd got there through some of the, the, the blood, sweat and bullets the hard way. And in fact, some of them, the women in these senior positions, were a lot tougher on women in middle management than some of their men counterparts. And you do hear some behaviours about putting the ladder up behind you if you've had to fight particularly hard for that position. Correct. And whereas what we want to encourage is more a lift as you climb uh, sort of effort. And therefore, we realised our target audience was that middle to senior management to create the next generation, uh, to cure the headache for HR who are looking for the, the gender equality to take the helm now, and there will be those opportunities. But our efforts are very much for the next generation. Um, and so for people like myself and Adam, who are probably of a similar age and similar background, um, I had a conversation recently with a friend of mine who's still in a major bank in, in the UK, and he was feeling a little bit isolated with the efforts internally uh, around gender equality. And I, and I commented to him, well, we should make no apology for this intervention. The, the, this intervention has only been broadly in the last several years, and yet we've had decades and centuries of inequality. So we should make no apologies for this intervention whilst the pendulum swings, and then we'll start to reap the rewards and benefits of having greater diversity around those executive tables. Wonderful. I think that's a perfect moment to just pause the conversation as we turn to Cynthia and Robert, who have been doing some research to support today's discussion. In an attempt to drive behavioural change on the trading floor, senior sales staff at many of the major banks are using technology to coach employees to change their behaviour before they step out of line. A fintech firm has created software called SafeScribe that warns employees when they're typing something that could potentially land them in hot water so they can review and potentially reconsider their communications before hitting send. The software has a number of features which are designed to help protect companies from regulatory, legal and reputational risk, including flagging the use of profanities, sexist, racist or homophobic language. A 2015 study by Imperial College looked at how increased hormone levels may cause traders to take more risks. Research simulated the trading floor in the lab by having volunteers buy and sell assets among themselves. They measured the volunteers' natural levels of testosterone and cortisol in one experiment and artificially raised them in another. When given doses of either hormone, the volunteers shifted their investments towards riskier assets. As many trading floors are highly competitive and potentially stressful environments, they may drive up traders' cortisol and testosterone levels. The research suggests that, on a macro level, these hormonal changes could be affecting the stability of financial markets. Wonderful. Thanks, Cynthia and Robert. And links to the research can be found on our website, www.diversitypodcast.com. Don't forget that's diversity with a C, not with an S. And that's where you'll find all our episodes and you can sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Please do follow us on Twitter at DiversityPod. And Diversity Podcast is available on Bright Talk and all good podcast channels. And we love a rating. It all helps to promote the episodes. What I love about this conversation today is it's been inherently so positive, which is, which is wonderful. Uh, but Mark, you referenced that having a frustration. Talk to us more about that. Yes, I do. And uh, it probably would be helpful to reference the recent update to the Hampton Alexander uh, report. And uh, I read the statistics. Um, I don't 
I try not to uh, infer or draw too many conclusions from this statistics, but they are important. They're and this important is the FTSE 100 women on board. Is, is that right? If I That's correct. correct. Yes. In particular, focus at the FTSE 100. But what's good is the extension of that focus being applied to the FTSE 250 and the, and the FTSE 350. And what we find with these central interventions is that when focus is applied, something begins to happen. So that's helpful. And lobby groups and programs like this, Julia, bring great attention uh, to the issue. But in the Hampton Alexander Review that was updated in June, it referenced the fact that there are now uh, 29% total uh, in terms of positions at executive board levels fulfilled by women. 9% are executive positions, 20% are non-exec positions. I think there is potentially a bit of an effort to fulfill the target through non-exec positions, which I'm not entirely happy about because I think the real change will come when they fulfill the executive positions. The spotlight is now shone on the FTSE 250 and in totality, 23.7% of those board positions are filled by women. That has only increased by 0.9% in the past year. So if you think about that for a moment, to get to equality, which is not actually 33%, which the the Hampton report sets out, but that's an important milestone. So I appreciate that. Equality is 50-50. So for the FTSE 250 at 0.9% a year, it's going to take us till 2050 before we have equality. And quite frankly, that is just unacceptable. So where my frustration comes from is the promotion of the need has been fantastic. We know the case for having diversity on boards and executive levels, the the value that brings to the performance and the holistic performance of the company. My frustration, though, is we need to be investing more effort, additional effort, because there is a lot of effort being applied, but more effort in the how and helping these people from diverse backgrounds, uh, be that gender or religion, or just culturally, to fulfil the career opportunities that are there in front of them in financial services. And the um, there are many barriers to achieving that, but there are also kind of many sort of unlocking moments. And we talk about this a lot on the podcast about the role of recruitment and you know making sure we've got the right recruitment partners who are approaching that challenge in, in, in the right way. I mean, Adam, you, I mean, you must have recruitment agencies crawling all over you, wanting to have your business. And, and, and are, there, are there some behaviours in recruitment that you'd like to see changed? I mean, I think, I think we have to talk more about the role of the recruitment firms. I'm going to have to make this quite personal because we've had quite a steady team. So, yes, we have a lot of people who are trying to um, show us talent. Um, our pickup of that talent has been, has been very slow just simply because we've, we've had a team that's been in situ for a while. I'm going to be selfish and just talk about my own daughter's experience uh, as a 23-year-old coming into the workforce. And she is being asked continually to fill out psychometric tests. Now, a psychometric test is either going to do one of two things, in my humble opinion. It's either going to produce a lot of people who are exactly the same or produce a load of liars. I really believe that um, whether it's experimenting through blind CVs, just being more innovative, actually going at taking more people in for interview, that actually firms are missing a lot of talent by going through these rigid processes. And I would like to see a lot more, particularly at an entry level, I would like to see a lot more um, openness, give people a lot of opportunity to attend interviews, to actually demonstrate and to showcase what they can do. Uh, So so let's end the show with thoughts that you're optimistic about, reasons to be cheerful. Adam, let me start with you. There are a lot of reasons to be cheerful. 
the industry is definitely, uh, just the industry and also society at large is moving in the right direction. It's not just a topic that's going to fade. It's going to be a, a very positive topic. Julie, you and I were on a panel at Trade Tech, which is one of the industry trading conferences earlier in the year. And it was in a women-only session talking about diversity. As it happens, about a third of the room was men because they gate crashed. It was standing room only. That in itself tells you there is this latent demand. Uh, the services that, that Mark and his firm offer are others. You can feel that firms are desperate to start taking advantage of this. Perhaps they don't know quite how to do it just yet. Um, as, as a firm, Bailey Gifford has written a, its own uh, shared belief document. And it's very much about you know what we do and it's the client first and everything must, we must do must be for the client. But it also touches on two important areas. The first one is really how we make a positive difference to society as a whole. And the second thing is how we behave to improve the perception of our industry. Both of those, absolutely, all of it is a, is a very positive environment. And Julia, am I allowed a little um, one, one last moment, which is um, to really ask companies when they're creating events, uh, when they're inviting people to talk, when, when they're discussing important matters, could they look outside of the Christian calendar and actually look at all the calendars? That way, people from diverse backgrounds can all participate without feeling excluded. And Mark, finish us off with reasons to be cheerful. I think I'm a very optimistic person. And um, I have two young boys as well as two elder daughters. Uh, but I'll start by saying I may be disappointed that my two young boys won't perhaps ever drive a car or own a, a home with the advances in technology and the way the marketplace is changing. But um, in terms of my optimism for my daughters who are shortly entering into their professional careers, I think it's a really good time to be a woman. Um, certainly better than it was five years ago, certainly better than it was 10, 20 years ago, being a woman in business. So I feel really optimistic uh, for them both. The other thing that Adam's touched upon is that human beings in society, uh, for the most part, are good. And that's starting to really shine through. There's the odd little occasion when your heart sinks with what goes on in the world. But I think in the main, society and, and human nature is good and it's kind. And we're starting to see that really shine through. And uh, that bodes well, I think, for the future, not just in business. Well, it's been a great discussion. I just want to take the moment to thank you both for joining the show today. Uh, Adam and Mark, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, thank you very much. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Roet Pinto-Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity Podcast, remember to give us a rating or review. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening. <laughs>